Welcome to Become an Idol. This is Episode 7, Scenario Design Tips with Anna Sabramowitz. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses, and this is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Anna Sabramowitz about her expertise in scenario design. She lays out how to craft scenarios and when to use them in your courses. You'll also learn how Anna Sabramowitz became an idol without a degree or experience. I have here with me today, Anna Sabramowitz. And if you have been around or digging into instructional design for any amount of time, you've probably come across her profile. You've seen her on LinkedIn. She's done like all the guest speaking for all the different instructional design blogs and video casts and uh, podcasts. She has her own podcast, e-learning scenario design, and she is just a rock star in our field. And so who better to come and talk to us about becoming an idol than Anna Sabramowitz. She's been doing this for 15 years. She's uh, been self-employed for the last eight years, and she even has her own company called eLearner Engage. So Anna, go ahead and introduce yourself a little more properly than I just did. Oh my gosh, Robin, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Plus, I love your energy. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that that intro, man. That's, uh, yeah, you're like, that's me. (laughs) Get all proud. Um, you. Uh, you know what? Um, I'm just really excited to be here because I know you have a, a big mission and a vision and you're really out there helping the new instructional designers just get get a good foothold on on this industry. So hopefully I can share some hard earned lessons uh, with them today um, and talk about maybe a little bit about, you know, scenarios and, and what I do, what they are. And uh, maybe this is a skill set that they want to dig more deeply into. Uh, but definitely, um, I would love to uh, share some of my lessons that I've had over the past, yeah, uh, long time <laughs> that I've been working in in not only just, uh, you know, uh, the corporate sector, but also in um, academia and also as a person who's worked from home. So that whole concept of, you know, remote work, creating uh, relationships with people long distance, how do you do that? Uh, all those things. So if anybody's, if you know, whatever you want to discuss, I am here. <laughs> so much. <laughs> well, I definitely want to pick your brain about scenario design. I think that, um, you know, even especially like for somebody to come into instructional design as a beginner mm-hmm. um, and to start in that kind of place uh, would be a huge advantage. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think the thing is, is and it's it's funny, I just thought about this. Like when you get into this world, and I don't know if you're you're uh, can resonate with this, but you get into this world and you you do it because you love to learn, and sometimes that kind of bites us a little bit in the butt because we think, hey, I'll just learn everything, and you end up doing that. You end up becoming a master of like twenty four different things, and and then what happens is our, the companies that we work at sometimes expect us to be good at 24 different things, right? You got to be Photoshop savvy, got to be in, <laughs> do graphic design, all these things. So 
what happens is you end up kind of uh, fragmented. So for me, digging deep into this after I had been the kind of person who was like fragmented was good because I found out where I really enjoyed uh, adding value. And I think a lot of times you have to kind of go through the fragmentation phase of learning a whole bunch of different things to really see where you shine and then just digging deep on that. So that's how I got into scenario design basically is just figuring out this is where I can really add the, the value. And that's what kind of got me excited to work on projects. So if you can find out what that little nugget is, that's amazing. Well, I, I mean, I hate to bring it to this example, but that kind of reminds me of my lunch today. <laughs> really? I was at the Indian buffet and I, you know, you got to try a little bit of everything and like the first plate. And then you're like, oh yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go back for all like the tiki masala or whatever. <laughs> but I want to focus the rest of my lunch. I seriously love that, that analogy. I love it. <laughs> You know, it's totally true. It's actually, ah, that's a, that's a great, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that because it's true. You, like you don't know what you like, right? You don't know what resonates with you. <laughs> and especially like, yeah, Indian food, man, there's so much variety, right? So yeah, you got, and some things look really like they're not going to burn your mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very good analogy. I love it. <laughs> Okay, so before we get into like, you know, the gold nuggets of your wisdom, which is scenario design, you have to tell everyone like, how did you actually get into instructional design? Because people's journey to becoming an idol is always, always fascinates me. Ah, well, um, I was going to be a teacher in high school uh, and I was going to be, uh, what is it, a chemistry English teacher. <laughs> That's even possible, but uh, I got my loans got declined for the last year, and I had to like quit university and um, go to uh, a call center, <laughs> go to a call center and get a, a lowly call center job, uh, which I then considered a total failure in my life because uh, I was raised to believe that um, I'm an immigrant, I'm a little immigrant kid from uh, from Poland, so um, basically we were raised that if you went to university, that means you made it you succeeded. Right. And, um, and I didn't. And so I felt like, a like I had failed my, my mom for a very long time, but I'm over that now. Uh, because what happened at this call center, what was amazing is that I still was able to kind of pursue this whole idea of learning. And that's when I really got into the idea of adult education, like that really resonated with me. And then what's kind of cool in the company that I got to work with, they were actually one of Canada's top 100 companies and a part of that is that they educated, like they invested so heavily into their staff and into new technologies and into personal development. And so I just thrived there. I basically got into the, the world of like um, uh, virtual classrooms, e-learning and all those other things. They were just kind of at the cusp and these guys were investing in it. And it was awesome because I just, I got in and I, I just basically took off from there. So, so the next uh, decade I spent just getting good at that and it really resonated with me. I never, I never went back to university to finish my education degree because I didn't want to um, because this was just the trajectory that, um, yeah, that it, it was, it was like, it was still aligned with teaching, but it was almost even more mm, satisfying. So then um, but I was still always like looking for more, 
I don't know if any of you listening have this thing where you, you're like, you're searching for meaning through your work. And for us, I think it's actually almost harder now in the digital world because you don't get to feel the product. You don't create a chair or something and touch it. And you're like, you know what I mean? I just don't make these things. So it's harder to get that feeling. I don't know if you know what I mean. Oh, me? Yes, of course. Although I, I do like looking at my digital products. Over <laughs> oh, <over. sure. laughs> That's so pretty, right? So, so, so I'm going through and I'm, I'm, I have jobs in corporate. I have jobs in academia. And I'm, I'm just I'm searching for something because I'm trying to find my space where I fit. And it's kind of cool. Um, when I started working for myself, I basically moved because I wanted to get away from the terrible winters of Manitoba. If you've ever been to Manitoba in the winter, do not you will never come back. But uh, what happened is then I started, uh, there was a, a competition on with one of the software companies, some of you may be familiar with it, Articulate, and they were just launching their new uh, software uh, storyline. And I got to be a part of the beta group. And me and my partner, Ryan, we thought, why don't we, because we'd been doing some projects uh, for our past clients and things like that. But they were, we were still new in that business. So we were kind of doing what people told us to do. <laughs> Whatever came our way, we were like, yeah, it's money. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so then we were like, ah, oh, this is our opportunity. We can actually make a project go and it'll be our baby. It'll be the way we want it. It'll be uh, the content we want. It'll be the feedback, the engagement we want. Let's do it. So we did. We launched it. It was called Broken Coworker. Um, seriously, when I launched it, a lot of people like get back to me now and they're like, I actually had to look at your profile picture and the picture of the person in the e-learning. And I realized that's you acting in all those videos, wearing a blonde wig. And I was like, yes. And <laughs> it was, and I felt like a total, like, I thought when we <laughs> sent that over for our submission, it was a competition, right? Uh, to uh, to win a Guru Award and um, and also a sweet iPad. <laughs> but one of the things I was thinking was, I am going to make a total fool of myself because this is so out there, like just goofy. And I thought it was a little too provocative. And, and then I'm like, yeah, and that's me in a video in a blonde wig acting like a really notorious bully, right? And then, so we sent it off and I was just like, wanted to throw up in my mouth, basically. I was like, I don't know if we can do this. And it, it came back, people loved it. People loved it. But this is the cool thing. People loved it. Cool thing and the sad thing. People loved it. Uh, we won the Guru Award. It was awesome. And then, but then I didn't believe, I didn't believe in it. I didn't think it could be that easy to create engaging things through scenarios. I thought you needed something else so for uh for a couple of years i kept on searching for more complicated ways <laughs> to engage and actually just like several years ago i just went back to it and it just hit me in the face i said is it was that a good pattern was that a good way to engage people scenarios it can't be that easy and um and then i just figured out that i actually could just do that and help people do that because people aren't good at doing that scenarios and just focus on becoming basically a force mul multiplier so instead of trying to do one of projects and trying to change the world a little bit at a time i can now help people in companies do their own force multiplier stuff 
and become their own scenario experts in their own right and apply this and use it as a part of their toolkit so that they can just pull it off the shelf whenever they want to and just say, hey, this is now what we're using and here's a framework and it works and there's no need to reinvent the wheel. So is this Broken Coworker uh, project, did you, you won the award, right? I'm yeah, guessing. yes. <laughs> is it still online? Like, can, like if oh, I, can yeah. I find a link for it for our show notes? Oh yeah, I want people, <laughs> like, please, I look so good and blonde. <laughs> I want to see this. <laughs> it, is, it is fun. And you know what's cool? One of the things I love is when you put something together, you know, you said you love looking at your digital stuff. I love yeah. you put together a project and you go through it and you're like, yeah, I still like it. <laughs> that's, that's how broken coworker is for me. I'm like, I still go through it. And I'm like, yeah, it's still fun. I love it. So I, I get, you know, I get uh, emails and comments about it to this day because it is live. I just, I want it to be for, it's got a really good message. Um, uh, really about bullying and building confidence. And it's funny because people will email me and they'll say things like, like, these are the comments I get. I actually had a boss like that. I wish I would have seen your, uh, this module, uh, because I think it would have helped me deal with that situation better. And I was like, Whoa. right. Like shivers gives me shivers. And I'm like, I just put this out. It's based on, you know, mine and Ryan's kind of like office antics that we've, and, and I've definitely been through some of those kinds of situations, but that's cool when you can get people to go through something that you've built and you didn't even have to force them. <laughs> it wasn't a part of a compliance <laughs> request. It's just because they want to. So that's awesome. So we have to back up just a little bit. So you said you were like in a call center yeah, and then they gave you training. So like, did you kind of move from the call center into the training department or yeah. how? How did that happen? Well, basically what I did is I, um, I just took on more responsibility uh, while I was there. So I started becoming the, per the go-to person for all the, uh, not all the, but half of the call center staff, right? And then what happened is when the position came up, I really, I mean, I already had taken some education courses, but also then I took my adult uh, learning certification through, um, so I did go back to university, but it wasn't like officially back to university. I just did my adult learning certification and then I moved up through to the trainer. That's where actually I learned that scenarios really are kick butt in uh, creating like value for people because in the training, we heavily relied on role plays and scenarios. And, and it was just awesome. That's when we started seeing gains. So yeah, then I moved into uh, training and then I got into the design of training. So I became the... Um, the coordinator of designing the learning and playing with the software and launching those things. So that's kind of the path. <laughs> and then from there, it's all history. <laughs> and then you just like said, Oh, I just do this on my own. <laughs> well, no, no, that was, um, I did that for, um, uh, well, it's, it's going to be eight years now that I'm doing this. So the prior to, uh, the other seven years, I've really just been working in, um, corporate and academia, like I worked at insurance, finance, um, technical colleges. So it's been a, it's been a wild ride. And in the meantime, I've also been a part of other organizations, uh, for long-term projects. So it kind of feels like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause I just want, cause because I, I always want to like point that out to to people who are interested in this, because like you really can just, if you are already in a position where they have a training department, you can like 
slide your way in there. <laughs> Heck yeah. I think yeah. that's, that's one of the, I, to me, that's the easiest way to do it. In fact, because let's be real. Um, people hire those who they trust, they know, they like, and people who understand their business, right? So if you have, if you already have a connection and you already enjoy being there, it's a great company, stay, just progress through that place. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And then once you get your title instructional designer, you can go anywhere. Yeah. Well, you can, or you can just stay there, stay there and make <laughs> your own team, like make a change. It's funny because people are always like, oh, you can just, it's true though. Like if it's funny because I think a lot of people wait on like, um, they'll wait on somebody to recognize them and be like, oh, next year I'll get my raise. The best way to get a raise is to get a new job. <laughs> that's what I say. I completely agree. And I agree with you because that's how I did it. You know, how else can you get a 10K raise in a year? You go to a new job. <laughs> I, I did it every year almost. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right? Like, seriously, it's, you can totally do that. It's, I, it's been done. If anybody listening to this, Robin and I are proof. <laughs> Yeah. And it's not bad to have on your resume either. Like, oh, they're a job hopper. That's not a thing, especially in instructional design, because there's so many like contract jobs. And that's just what people do now. Yeah, it is. So. And and the other thing is like, I, it's funny because, uh, there you, there's definitely, you definitely got to be careful. Cause if you are, if you're like, if you're job hopping every six months, that might say something about you, right? Sure. <laughs> but you don't have to list everything on your resume. Just live, list the stuff that's relevant to this new position, right? I'm not going to go all the way back and list my high school jobs. You're going to list the things that are going to give somebody an indication that uh, I'm qualified for this job. Look at this experience I've had or the wins I've had, right? So yeah, I totally look at it that way. Also another excellent point. You told, That's absolutely how you should write your resume anyway. Yeah. So Okay, so now let's get into the scenario design because, you know, let's do it. We can't let you go without you talking to us about <laughs> scenario design. You are too okay. kind. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure that like most people have like an idea of what this means. Like, oh, okay, so you are setting up an example scenario that they can apply to, you know, on the job or in their real life, but like for you. Like, how do you define scenario design? Like, what's that mean? Great question. And and you're, you're right. Like, it's exactly what you said. Uh, there's this situation that I'm setting up, right? And, uh, and the situation is in the context of somebody doing something for real, right? Like, in their job. It's, it's something that they potentially could, ex like, read and be like, oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> I can see myself doing that. That's totally what I do. But uh, I think where a lot of people get all messed up with scenarios, like when they hear, they're like, oh, uh, you do scenarios. They think that scenarios are the same as case studies um, and there's a difference. So uh, let's say what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to put you in the context of your work. So I'm giving you a situation or a place where you have to make a decision. And the, the beauty of scenarios is that you don't just get to... I don't just present you with options on how to solve that situation, how to make that decision. What are you going to do? But the big powerful thing is, is that I don't tell you if you did it wrong or right, or if you handled it the right way, I show you what happens as a result of your decision. I show you that's the powerful part. I don't tell you, I show you. And when I show you through the consequences, 
hopefully what happens is you get a, one of those like awesome aha moments where you're like, oh, oh, that didn't, that didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. Oh my God. That's I just cut the doctor's thumb off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and I, I, and the thing is, you don't even need to say if that's good or bad because that's so bad. <laughs> you're just like, my God. Right. But that's how we learn. And what's cool is, is like you get to work with people who, are in the field, you pull this info from them, and then you get to like, get somebody to practice making cutting thumbs off in a safe place, right? You don't, nobody gets hurt. And also some people might want to try different approaches to hurting somebody else. So what happens is you can, you can practice as many times until you get it. What's really cool too, is a lot of people, like even with the broken coworker, they'll, they'll go through and experience the bad paths even though they they are emotionally intelligent enough to know that they're not the best paths because they just want to see what happens how bad can it get and it's a great way to experience consequences without like i said nobody getting hurt nothing's being burnt or <laughs> nothing bad is happening but you're getting the aha moments um and then later if needed you can actually get some feedback and additional resources which i always suggest to learn more if you if you all of a sudden realized you're not as good at making this kind of decision or handling this kind of situations as you thought you were so that's a scenario and also um you made me uh, remember that you said like they go back through and like take the different paths mm -hmm. um that's also more time on task in that same learning environment so they're not just getting that information once all the way through especially if they're like going back and doing it again. And as we know, time on task, especially in like when you're learning things always increases its uh, effectiveness. So absolutely. And what's cool is that um, if, if you do this well, if you do this, if you're, if you're okay with focusing yourself enough to keep this really small and agile, you can actually continue redeploying this to uh, your people uh, in the learning environment. Say, you know, a month from now, I'm going to show them the scenario again. You actually, you know, I'm sure you know the statistics. People need to see something seven times before they actually are like, oh, I remember this now. Like you'll show something uh, to somebody a month from now and they'll be like, what? <laughs> it's like, didn't you just go through this training? So it's actually good for them to see it over and over again. And guess what? You can do that with scenarios quickly. Just see, hey, are you making better decisions now? Or here's a decision. I wonder if you remember how you handled it last time. And maybe now that you are on the job, you're, you're going to handle it a little bit differently. So it's a great way to not only create something that's um, time on task, your initial training, but also as a follow-up uh, strategy for learners to get more comfortable with making these decisions. So, yeah, it's fun. So now, okay, so we know like the base principles of scenario design. And now I'm immediately thinking about like, branching and showing people <laughs> these consequences like how many levels of consequences do you try to include i mean do you try to put in like do you have like a i don't know a ratio or a rubric or whatever it's like oh i gotta put at least like all the consequences or like half of them or <laughs> how do you figure that out great question ah oh, that's a great question so uh one of the my idols in scenario uh, design who I learned from is Kathy Moore. And Kathy Moore um, mm -hmm. started, she, she said seven, seven branches 
and uh, deep, right? That's max that you go. And I, I agree with her. And I also think that you can go even less, less branchy than that because it really depends on what you're trying to achieve with your scenario. So there are some scenarios and some situations where uh, a decision that you make up front is really critical to the amount, the, the, um, to let's say the outcome three, three steps down. Like, let's say if you, uh, let's say for a call center, you, you call in and if somebody doesn't get verified in the very beginning that they actually are the person who they say they are, they're, uh, then it doesn't matter what you do, like how great the rest of the call goes. You basically failed that call because you let somebody who's not a card holder give them information that is uh, that they shouldn't be privy to, right? So in that scenario, uh, the first two steps can affect the outcome of the rest of the situation. So there you need branches. But there are certain uh, other scenarios where the... It, the individual decisions don't necessarily impact each other, so you don't need to create complicated branches. The branch might be one or two. Now, here's the other thing about consequences that's pretty important. So uh, when I run my workshops, uh, and the, the best ones are when I run them live because uh, those are the, the most fun, by the way, because you get energy from the room. That's one of the things you kind of miss when you're doing like uh, online stuff. You don't get energy from the room the same way. But anyways, I detract. So what happened is uh, this one lady, she was like, listen, Anna, I like the scenario thing, but what if a learner comes back to you or she was basically talking about herself. She said, I wouldn't think that those are not my options. So how come, you know, you only have two consequences there or two uh, decisions there, but I would think of something else. And I, if I have 50 people, then probably there could be 50 things that are that they're thinking of doing and they're therefore the consequence would be varied 50 times right and, and i'm like hmm. that's true but the problem or not the problem the opportunity is that we're not creating real life we're actually what we're doing is we're creating a magical world where we're focusing on like the top two or top three issues that people mess up on when faced with a specific decision so i'm going to focus my um, options around those things. And it's kind of crazy because when you really evaluate that with an expert, usually the outcomes, the consequences, it ends up being a very small amount of things, success or failure. Do you know what I mean? So you actually, your consequences really uh, don't need to be as, as complicated as you think, because our world's not infinite. In fact, it's, it's just going to be like, you, uh, you know, you sold, you sold the house or you didn't, you, uh, you, the customer bought the shirt or they didn't buy the you uh, successfully completed the surgery or you didn't right so there's details you can add around that but as far as like how branchy you need to get that you just need to focus on where people mess up most your most expensive mistakes and that's where that's what scenarios your scenarios are focused around and the rest you do in live sessions discussions in fact what i really love is when you use a scenario that's self-paced online to prompt a live session, a live discussion with a large group. Cause now everybody's kind of got gone through the same experience, which you don't always have when you have people in a room, some, you don't know where they're all coming from. So now all of a sudden everybody has a common experience. They've made a decision and now they're coming into this room with their own ideas about how that should have been solved. Now that's a great conversation starter. Yes, that would be a great conversation starter. Have you seen, okay. This is a little like, 
little on the other side. Have you seen the You versus Wild and those other scenario shows that they're doing on Netflix? Have you seen any of those? I've only seen the ads for them and then I canceled Netflix. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So give me the premise. Give me the premise. Okay. Well, I love it because it's a show that like me and my my older sons can watch and it's called You versus Wild. Yeah. And um it's Bear Grillis. And he is going into the wild and he is like, you know, he's about to jump out of the helicopter and he has like either like a grappling hook or a, a parachute or something. And then you get to pick like which one he like jumps out of the plane with. And um, awesome. I mean, that was like that was a bad it. example. No, oh, I love like it. The, well, the fun ones are like when he's like out in the wilderness and he's hungry and he's like, I could pick off all these little like twigs and eat the tiny little berry, but I'd have to get like, you know, a hundred twigs to get full or I could eat this one grub. And we're all, and then of course, like me and the boys are like, eat the grub. And then what it reminds me, <laughs> but what it reminds me of is that it's just so compelling that it's like, you don't even realize that you're learning about survival and like, you know, and like the whole thing that you start to see a pattern emerge is like, take the least amount of risk whenever you're making these like survival decisions. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like what happens in scenario design is like, if it's good and compelling and it's like kind of fun, then you don't even realize like what you're learning. You're just like in it, you know, yeah, totally just like eat the grub. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, what's amazing too, is there's so many nuggets in that. I, I'm going to have to now buy a Netflix subscription again, just so I can watch this show. But this is what's cool. Uh, the whole show sounds like it's driven by decisions, which is mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, no complicated UI or anything user interface. It's like do this or do that. Right. Right. But the decisions are, we're driving it and it's compelling. That's interesting. And also you're not thinking, okay, but then he could also eat some dirt and he could go and, uh, you know, like you're not thinking of all the other things in the moment. It's these two powerful decisions, which one, right? So I love that. That's, that's phenomenal. Actually, now that you mentioned Netflix, there is a scenario, like a full on scenario, interactive scenario, uh, episode on there. I don't know if you maybe have seen it. You could watch it with your kids. It's called Bandersnatch. Uh, yeah, that's from uh, Black Mirror. I did watch that one. Yeah. What I like uh, you versus Wildmore. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I totally agree. Uh, there's a reason that one didn't, for me, it didn't resonate. Like, although uh, the idea of decisions and you being in charge of that story, having autonomy is kind of, I think the way they're going, like this is what they're going to start investing in, you being a part of the movie. But for me, the reason it didn't do so well is because the story wasn't compelling. So I, I didn't resonate with the main, the main character at all, right? I didn't. I completely agree because in that one, like if you don't kill your father who's done nothing wrong to you, <laughs> then like, Spoiler you, have alert. Back, you have to start back at the beginning and it's just like, I would never. I don't. I'm not gonna kill the father. Yeah, I know, right? So it's like moral questions. But what I thought it was kind of funny because when you actually, there's so many nerds deconstructing it on the back end as far as you know how it really worked. But that one was uh, felt complicated. But really, when you look at it in the on the back end, it's very minimal branching, and always two decisions. And it's how many times do we try and overcomplicate things by adding whiz bang stuff and 
you know, click and reveals and all this stuff when really it's like, do this or do that. And that could drive uh, two hours of engagement uh, for somebody, right? So cool. Yeah. And that's actually was kind of going to be like one of my questions, but then you just kind of answered it. And the other one was just going to be like, well, you know, what are kind of like your favorite ways to deliver scenarios? And it kind of said, it kind of sounds like you did answer like, does you don't have to, you know, be bare gorillas out uh, with a professional camera crew for it to be compelling. Not at all. Not at all. Like some of the, the, if you're, it's, it's gotta be like a good book. Like, uh, right. Like what you have, have you, what was the last time? Like everybody think back to a time you had like a great book. Did you care that it was on paper and in the same letters? <laughs> <laughs> no, the story drove you, right. You were like, Oh, some people like I lost two days sleep. I hate you. Right. Cause, cause they loved it so much. They couldn't put it down. So when you're drafting your scenarios, you really want them on, to work on paper to be that compelling. You're like, oh, this is a good conundrum. The target audience, at least, should be feeling that. And then whatever you add, like, it's icing. It's icing. Because if that stuff underneath works, words are enough. So, And so, um, all right. So let's get into the words. So, okay. So you are writing out your scenario. Um, do you just, do you write it out? long form and, and do you draw draw letters or do you mind map that stuff or what's, <laughs> like your, what's your writing process well um my experts write the scenarios for me right because i have a script that i follow to extract stories from them and situations then when i've got that conversation transcribed uh and i use rev.com uh but i just seriously found another place that does it even cheaper it's called tammy tammy Anyways, how do you spell it? T-A-M-I, I think. Oh, okay. Anyways, it's 10 cents, a, uh, 10 cents a minute. I was like, what? Anyways, it's awesome. Bananas. Yeah. Because I rev is a dollar a minute. Right. It's still worth it. <laughs> because I've actually talked to people who are like, yeah, let me transcribe that. I'll get back to you in two days. I'm like, what? I can have this back tomorrow. I don't even have to think about it. How much is your time worth? Anybody out there who's doing transcription on their own, start hiring it out <laughs> it's easier so uh, I get that transcript back and then uh, what I do is I pull out the pieces that I think are juicy and would make great scenarios because when you're talking to an expert um, or a practitioner they'll tell you a whole bunch of stuff but you got to pull out the stuff that's like oh that sounds compelling and you're totally guessing right I mean you're not the expert so you don't know but you're pulling out the stuff that sounds juicy sounds compelling sounds like a tough decision emotionally charged all those things you're like, oh, this is going to make a great scenario, but still hypothesis, pull those out, organize them into basically a, a beat sheet, which is this happens and this happens and this happens. And because of this happens, this happens. So everything's kind of cause and effect. And it kind of makes that story flow for you. Once you've got that kind of settled, uh, you know, shitty first drafts, nothing's perfect. Um, then you talk to your uh, practitioner again and say, hey, you know, what this situation, why is this one? Why is this one important? And they, they might say, uh, I don't think that one's a really good one. You should, <laughs> you should just scratch. And then what's cool is you haven't invested a ton of time in this process. So you're like, that's cool. All right. I didn't, I didn't spend four days <laughs> crafting this. I spent, you know, an hour and a half pulling out the things I think are important. Let's go through this again and then solidify the ones that you think are like, yeah, these are difficult. 
And then, uh, and then what happens is once you've got that kind of, um, beats all of your kind of juicy areas that you're going to tackle, then you definitely need to, uh, do, it's not necessarily mind mapping. It kind of looks like the closest thing I can say is it looks like a, um, a decision flow chart, right? Where if this, if some, then you start adding like the decisions. So you've got your, your major situations, and then you can say if decision, if this kind of decision is made, whoop, they are not getting it. I'm going to kick them out of this module or I'm going to let them continue. So you're kind of doing your flow chart as you go through the decisions to make sure that everything works and you can actually share that with somebody who develops in, in software, whichever you use, and they understand your flow. Cause it's one of the things that's um, that you have to adjust for is that your storyboard, which isn't, it's not really a storyboard. It's more like a script is linear but the experience is not. Therefore, how do you reconcile the two in a logical way that's really easy for somebody to see the, like the big picture, especially a developer, right? So I find right. that that little decision flowchart that you design, which is still very simple, but it gives them a big picture of you. They're like, oh yeah, when they go into their software, they can just easily map it out and then put in the things that, that you've drawn out for the text or images. So. Ooh. That gave me a good idea. I should, uh, we should make like a template or something of decision flowcharts, unless you use like a certain program or, uh, there is, uh, there's a couple of really good, uh, good ones. Uh, there's, um, there's one that you can pay for, which I like. Uh, it's, uh, it takes a little bit of time to learn, but it's really good. It's called lucid chart. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there's another one. I think it's called, what is it called? Jiffly, Ghibli. That's anyways. I'll. There's a lot of good flowchart software out there. You can even use uh, Google. Um, Google uh, has this the drawing piece. Oh yeah, fabulous. And also, it has a this other one is called Mind Mup. M I N D M U P. It's an add-on to Google, which is a way more robust way of doing flowcharts. Uh, most people find it almost too robust. So. Choose your poison. Oh, fun. <laughs> okay, so we've talked about, you know, just kind of like the nuts and bolts of scenario designs, but do can you actually add scenario design to all courses or do like specific topics and um, skill sets seek out your skills or, I mean, so tell us about what are like the best courses that are suited for scenario design? Well, so... That's a great question. Um, you're just full of them today, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because it, a scenario can have multiple um, multiple purposes, right? Uh, but not the same purpose. <laughs> so let's say let's say you want to uh, teach people a, a technical skill, right? Like like how do you uh, get a customer? Uh, entered into a database. You can definitely use a scenario, which is, you know, um, walking somebody, giving them a customer profile, right? And say, you know, this guy needs to do this. How are you going to help them and work through the software? So there's one type of scenario, which is basically very skills-based. Um, then there's other types of scenarios, which are like, hey, deal with this customer. What are you going to do? They're angry. And you can have very much a simulation-based uh, scenario where you're kind of in the first person and you get to like experience all these customers walking in or work difficult employees or you're hiring new people 
that's another kind of scenario. Those are called more like sims, I think, in, in our world. And if you want to get a good example of those, a whole bunch of neat ones, you go to like something like branchtrack.com and they have all these cool demos of like first person scenario experiences. And those can go pretty deep in branching. So there's that, right? So you can go hardcore skills, soft skills. And then there's the other kind of scenarios, which to me are wholly underused. And so it, when I, when I, and you probably have experienced this yourself, you go to most established organizations have a ton of learning already. Like they, like most places I talk to, they're like, we got a giant LMS. It's got 600 courses in it. Right. And you're like, okay, yeah, like, yeah we got We got to make it sexier. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> sexier. Okay. Uh, but uh, <laughs> when I think about that, I'm like, okay, so you've got, experts around here who are like a players and they used that unsexy stuff right they used it to get to their level so i'm like so maybe it's not the stuff maybe it's people's perception of do they even need it so my idea with the scenarios is that you can actually use it to create help people realize that they have gaps and then drive them to resources that will help them fill that gap. And the analogy I use is, um, you know how if like, let's say your toilet like acts up and it's break, breaks inside and you have no idea what to do. Um, and the first thing I do when something like that happens around my house is, is I'll be like, okay, let's YouTube it. Yes. <laughs> I'll be like, how do you fix that? And then I find the video that has the most views, the most likes, like I'm like good comments where people say, oh yeah, this is, this totally helped me solve my problem. So I watch that video and then I go and I fix my toilet. Nowhere in that exchange do I think this person's mic sucks or this video quality sucks. This isn't, this is so old looking. No, because the information is relevant, I just want it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, just give me the info, dude. I don't care. Right. So one of the things is that we think is if we make something sexier and cooler at the end that people are going to naturally be drawn to it. No, they first have to perceive the need. I'm not looking at toilet videos in my free time. <laughs> I'm only looking at it when I perceive a gap in my own knowledge. So if you can create a scenario where people are put in a whole bunch of situations where there is, um, they're, they're all of a sudden faced with info or faced with decisions and they have to make these decisions. They experience what happens and they realize, Oh crap, I am not, uh, I'm not equipped to deal with this. Or I thought I knew how to solve this. Holy moly. I don't wait. I wonder if there's something out there. What's your YouTube video? What's your resource that can help me be better? I'm not good at leadership or I thought I knew how to handle people or I thought I knew how to, um, I thought I knew everything about this to be able to actually uh, share it effectively with other people or all kinds of stuff, right? Should I eat the yeah. grub or should I eat the, the twigs? Uh, which one's got more protein content? I totally thought it was the twigs. Oh, now I'm dead. You know, whatever. So, <laughs> so oh, I should look this up, right? How to cook a grub. <laughs> so He does not cook it. <laughs> just eat the grub, right? Probably the best for you. Uh, unadulterated grub. That's great. <laughs> Hmm. I bet you it tastes good. Uh, so, <laughs> so basically what you can do then is once that person gets that aha moment, they're like, Oh, I'm not as, uh, I have a gap. They'll go. And if you 
if you at that point are able to provide them with the resources they need, they won't care what those resources are, how old they are. Uh, for me, it still makes a big deal if the things you're accessing are readable, accessible in the right tone and all those things that still adds value, but nothing is going to get them there if they don't perceive the gap. So you can use scenarios to help people experiences, experience those gaps and then have the motivation to go and fill them because they actually now know they need it. Cause most people uh, go into our training sessions going, yeah, I already know this. I know this. Right. I, yeah, I, this is going to be another one of those. I know this session. So I might as well turn out cause Facebook's on <laughs> <laughs> is Facebook on yet. <laughs> or that toilet video I've been meaning to watch. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah. So I, I so it's, it's, so there's multi, Love that idea. multi, multi-purpose ways, but that's what makes it dangerous too, is because it fits in so many avenues. You really got to be um, using it when it augments the experience and actually adds value. So it, one of the places where I kind of got into a little bit of a boo-boo years back is um, because somebody actually entered the project with me and said, oh, I want scenarios. And I'm like, great. I love that. That's I do that. <laughs> and, uh, and then they're like, yeah, I want scenarios around this topic. And we did that. And then we tested it uh, in the, it, we piloted it. And the, the people who were, we were uh, piloting it with, they said, oh, that's really cool. But you know, you know, that only happens like once a year. Right. Mm. And I was like, wait a minute. So we, we invested all this time and they were like, this is a great scenario. Like it's totally true to life, but we don't really do this very often, like at all. And then I could just do, I could just do the job aid thing and look it up. So the challenge is still to find stuff that adds the most value. And actually one of the things I like to do with scenarios is say, Hey, what's already like, if somebody's doing like what's some what are some things that people are already doing at the company that's really working well how can i create a scenario to help them do that even better like 10x that that's a cool project because then you can see wins and a lot of the problems that companies have if they just do something they're already doing pretty good and they do it like 10 times better that adds ton of value and then you get to see some serious momentum because a lot of times what we tackle is stuff that's just like so at the bottom and, and yeah. they're so incremental, it's hard to prove value. So instead of focusing on those, where do we suck, find out where you're awesome. Let's make that awesomer. I love that. That's so true. That's such a good perspective because you're right. We're always talking about the solution, the solution, the problem, the problem, but like. <laughs> what if the problem is that like what your best just isn't good enough like we can make it even better <laughs> yeah, exactly. let's 10x that baby yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes yeah i hope everybody else like got like as excited as i did about that idea <laughs> i doubt it but <laughs> <laughs> like you dork okay <laughs> all right what about um okay so now for those that are listening, they're like, oh yeah, scenario design, that's the way to be. Like, how do they, um, how can they include scenario design like in their own courses? Like, where should they start? Like, they're, 
you know, they're new at this. Like, mm. what are like your best tips for my best tips? Yeah. Don't try and invent the wheel by yourself. Go out there and find stuff that is already awesome and working and just deconstruct it. That's what I do. <laughs> um, just uh, because I know that's kind of sounds like weird, but there's lots of great books on this. So if you look at scenario design, there's, um, uh, sorry, there's, there's tons of books that are, are, uh, are good, but the only way you're really going to get uh, good at this, because it's not a, um, it's not an intuitive process for a lot of us, because it's not really something we've been exposed to. So I think it's almost like, you know, how to become a great writer, you got to read a lot, right, to see other people's work and then pull from their ideas. So the same thing with scenarios, you want to get started with scenarios, look at stuff out there that is good. Start with Broken Coworker, look up Haji Kamal, look at those kinds of examples and say, hey, this is a this is interesting. How could I, could this add value to, uh, to my project? Are there situations where that are costly or where people mess up a lot and they could benefit from seeing like a lot of times what's great with scenarios is you can compress time in them. So sometimes what happens is we'll make a mistake, but because in the real life, the, the consequence doesn't like show itself for two months, you don't actually make the connection. And then you're like, oh, you know, like years later, like, oh, that's what happened. If I only had been, you know, latching the door, then I, my place wouldn't have been, you know, burgled or whatever, right? <laughs> so, but it happens like a year apart, so you don't get it. So with scenarios, you can have somebody do something and then, and then you just be like six months later, pff, somebody dies because you didn't latch it and the thing fell on them. Oh my God, right? So um, you can actually basically say, is there a decision here that somebody needs to make? And is that decision uh, worth practicing in a safe space? Boom, scenario. Oh, I love it. And now you host cohorts or programs where you teach scenario design, is that right? I do, uh, right now what I'm doing is just working with people one-on-one -on -one, uh, and then uh, the next cohort, I don't know when it's coming up because uh, you know these are quite intensive, but yeah. Definitely do because it's funny because I used to I used to have this belief I'm like I could go into every single company and then just do a scenario and that'll just like start this ripple effect. But um, the challenge is that that when I leave <laughs> the scenario stuff leaves with me, right? So my goal now is to find people who are interested in getting this like taking this to the next level, adding this to their toolkit, and then they can just implement this in their workspace. It still takes time, but now you've got the expertise. It's not like just some, some vendor doing this for you and then going away and taking all of their intellectual capital basically with them. Now you get to hold on to that and then, and then build that movement from within the company because that's easier than I think than being an outside person coming in. And so do you think that your practice really has improved your scenario design? Hell yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's the only way to get good. You know, I can be an armchair philosopher and quote people and discuss learning theories, but the only way you're going to get good is by having like this crazy bias for action and building stuff and testing it with people who are going to use it. You know, not just your mom. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And then, yeah, totally. And, and also one of the things that I found is huge is when you like in your own head everything's perfect right because you're 
filling in gaps all the time. But then when you try and explain it to people, that's when you really start learning things about your processes because it doesn't always make sense when you say it. <laughs> or trying to get somebody else to do it, right? So that's, to me, mentorship is like the next level of learning. So I, if you get a chance to anybody out there, you get a chance to have somebody work with you and teach them stuff. It's, it's going to take you to the next level. Don't, don't, um, don't shy away from those opportunities. You're always good enough to, to mentor somebody. Yeah. And to, right. And to be mentored. Oh gosh. Yeah. Always like you want to, you want to take yourself to the next level. It's it, it really is about having another, somebody else's uh, shortcuts <laughs> work for you. Yeah. So what are your best and final tips for those people who want to become instructional designers and maybe uh, anything that you, else you want to say about scenario design? Um, I say question everything. It, just because somebody has uh, done it um, or told you or written it in the book, that doesn't mean it's true. Uh, I've had to unlearn a lot of things because uh, a lot of the a lot of the constraints that we have or a lot of the, 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 the practices that we have are old and passed on. So you have to start questioning everything and testing it to see if it works for you. And then the other thing I say is have a bias for action. A lot of people talk about stuff, complain about things. The best way to complain is to build something, right? Create something that you're proud of, get it out there, get feedback, and then just continue doing that. But that bias for action is what makes what differentiates people who are successful to people who are basically just uh, philosophers in their basement. That is 100% true. Yeah. Practice, <laughs> practice, practice, and do, 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 because yeah. you're exactly right. None of your goals will be met unless you do something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anna, seriously, I feel like this is like such a huge deal for me. I'm so glad that you came on Become an Isle podcast. Woo! I know everybody's going to be like, Wah! they're going to be so excited just to hear like you speak directly to uh, new instructional designers and share um, some of your best tips about scenario design. So thank you so much. No problem. It was my pleasure. Your energy is awesome and contagious. I loved being here. Woo! I know. I want to get you back on and do some of that like remote talk that we are talking about, about like <laughs> just like working from home, building relationships, because I just need to uh, get, get another excuse to get you on the phone again. That's, that's no problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks, Anna. Not a problem. Take care, dear. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Now, Get out there and build transcendent courses.